whoa, whoa, whoa. I need you guys to like, like I feed off of energy. And I've been preaching to a stupid camera for like two months. I need you guys, three months. I need you guys to be real loud when I ask you questions. I need you guys to interact with me. This is by, seriously, uh, Andrew said the same thing. This is the biggest group I've got the opportunity to preach to in a long time. And so I'm going to like preach for like an hour and a half each night. I hope you guys are cool with that because this is so motivating to look, look at all of your faces. Um, I am really, really excited about that. Um, I am, uh, as Sam was saying, I am no longer a skater boy. I have a skateboard. When I fall, it hurts for way too long these days. Uh, so I feel like an old man. It was nice that he called me young. I don't know in comparison to what, but I do not feel, <laughs> I, don't, I don't super feel that. But I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Um, but I got to tell you guys something up front. And I'm not really sure if you're supposed to do this as a speaker, but I do it all the time. So maybe I'm breaking the rule every time. But I'm going to tell you guys up front uh, what I want for you for this week. Like, I'm going to just show my hand, lay all my cards on the table of what I want for you because I have a really big goal for this week, okay? I, and I, like, the thing is, is you guys could be doing anything else with your time right now literally anything else. You could be anywhere else. You could be doing any other thing. So I have zero desire to waste your time. I, I could be anywhere else in the world right now. I could be with my three beautiful daughters right now, hanging out with them, but I am away from them. So I have zero desire to waste my time either. So for this week, I want something big. I want, you ready? I want you to know God. And, I, and if you are not a Christian in this room, I'm going to speak directly to you a few times this week, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to enter into a brand new relationship with the God of the universe. I, I just hope you're ready for that. Be thinking about that, because I'm going to speak directly to you. And those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, I want so desperately for you in that relationship with God to go deeper, to know him more, to know him in a brand new way, to know him in a deeper, more powerful, more meaningful way. I want that for you guys. But here's the thing, and I got to admit this up front. I want this for you guys. I want this for you. But we kind of have a lot working against us here from the get-go, right? Two reasons, two big things that work against us in my goal for you. One is I don't know you, right? I have literally met zero of you up to this point. And I don't really like that. I don't really tend to like it that much when I preach to a bunch of people that I don't know because I like speaking directly to, like I love preaching week in and week out to my church because I know them. I love them. Like, I, I, I serve God alongside them. I worship God alongside them. I love my church. And so I like getting to preach them. So I don't know you. I don't know what stuff you need to, what you're wrestling with in your heart, like how, we, how Sam was saying, like what your situation is like at home, uh, what you're going through there, what's on your mind, what's in your heart. I don't know. So I got that working against me as I step up here to talk to you guys. The second thing that we have working against us is you don't know me, right? You don't know if like I, you should listen to me, right? I could be just like a super big weirdo, right? With a bunch of like weird beliefs and like I could just be this super strange guy and you'd have no idea. Or even worse, I might be just a flat out liar. 
all this stuff that I'm going to say for the next, I might have already lied to you, right? Or for all this stuff that I'm going to say for the next, you know, few nights in a row, it might just all be lies and I might mean none of it, right? I might yell and spit and, and, you know, talk about Jesus a bunch, but I could just be making it up. I could just be pretending the whole time. And so you don't know, right? So this is a big thing we're stepping into here. And so here's the thing. I think if we are going to if we're going to accomplish anything, if this is not going to be a waste of any of our time as we come together over these next four nights in a row, I think that we are going to need God. I, I think we are going to, if, if you are going to know God more this week than you do right now, uh, we need him to help us. Um, and I, I don't think that I can speak directly to you. The cool thing about camp is if you're just like, man, it feels like he's like talking right to me, there is no way I can take credit for that. That's God. That's God of the universe speaking to you from his word. And that's pretty amazing. So if you guys would, would you guys mind standing up? I don't know if you guys ever do that, but would you mind standing up? And we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask for God's help this week. Um, and then I'm gonna read our, our passage that we're gonna look at all week. Is that okay? Is that weird? See, I'm already weird. I'm asking you to stand as we pray. So if you guys would bow your heads and let's ask the Lord to help us this week. Father in heaven, Father, I have zero desire to waste uh, this room full of people's time. I have zero desire to waste my own time, Lord. There's way too much going on, Father. So we want and we want to expect big things in this room, perhaps even the biggest of things, Father, that we would actually hear from you, that we collectively together would know you more than we know you right now. And so, Father, we can't make that happen. I can't make that happen. No matter how good these sermons are or how awful they are, I can't make that happen. We need you, Father. And so that's our prayer. We need you, Father. And so we pray that you would glorify your name in drawing your people to you this week as we come together for worship. I pray it. I pray for it, I hope for it, and Lord, even I dare say I'm expecting it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So here's, this is a little bit of weird of a, of a four-part talk, okay? So we're gonna spend our time in seven verses, only seven verses for the next four nights, all right? And each one, each talk's kind of gonna build on the next one, okay? So I'm gonna read the whole thing right now, but here's what I want you to know about this. Tonight is going to function as more of an introduction to, the, to us spending our time in these seven verses, okay? The point of tonight is to convince you that this matters, that what we're going to talk about this week matters, okay? And hopefully I convinced you if I, if I don't and you're just like, that sounds useless, I'm not coming back. Um, come back because the games will at least be fun and you can zone me out for the rest of the week, okay? So that's what tonight's for. So Romans 15, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. We'll talk about verses 1 through 3 later tonight, and that's, that's where we're going to be all week, okay? Here we go. Verse 1. He, or, or we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you or insulted you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony or unity with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, say together, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. This is God's word. So with this theme, right, together, you're kind of seeing it everywhere. Really cool graphics, by the way. Tip my hat to whoever made that. But let's ask a question up front. This is our theme, right? It's gonna be everywhere. It's, it's like dictated the direction that we've gone in these talks. Um, does this theme of together matter? Does this matter? D does it matter that you and I care about being together? Why, why, why do we need to talk about this? This, this is important. Right? It does this matter? And so right now, tonight, I'm going to give you three reasons why I think we need to talk about being together. Okay? I'm going to give you three reasons. It's my introduction to the whole week. I hope it convinces you that this is something we actually need to talk about. That this theme of being together actually matters. All right? You guys ready? The first one. We need to talk about being together because right now we are the divided. We are among the divided. Our culture, our society, our city could not be more divided. I heard a pastor this week who's been a pastor for 33 years. That's literally as long as I've been alive, okay? He told me that this is the most divided he has ever seen, uh, the most divided society and culture that he's ever seen as a pastor. This is the hardest time of being a pastor that he has experienced in over three decades. And that made me feel better because I agree with him. It's really hard, but I got, I'm like 20 years behind him, right? That's a, that's a long time. See, we're divided all over the place. We're physically divided from one another, right? We're, we're scattered. We're separated. We've invented new phrases. Did you know the phrase socially distant meant nothing before like five months ago? We've like invented a phrase to keep each other away from one another. So we're, we're actually physically divided but we're also relationally divided. We are arguing about everything right now, everything. I don't know how much you guys have experienced this, but over the last few months, me and I, from people that I love in my church, I have been chewed out over masks, 
over stuff that I said uh, on a Sunday morning about uh, injustice. I've been yelled at from people that I love. And that's just a small, tiny symptom of, of, of a culture all around us, a world all around us that is just angry and yelling at one another and not even really sure where they're going with all of the yelling. We are divided relationally. Nothing about this time in this moment that we find ourselves wants us to be together. Do you know that? Everything out there is loudly working against us being together. Being together right now is becoming less and less normal. What you are doing right now, can I tell you guys something? And this is straight up real. What you guys are doing right now in this room, what we just did, sang songs together, is illegal in my state right now. Do you know that? Illegal. It's a rhetorical question, bud. You can not answer all of them. But I appreciate that, though. I appreciate your energy. But, but yeah, it, right now, I'm from California. It is illegal for this many people to be in this room right now. It is illegal for us to sing songs out loud. Do you know that? This is working against us being together. Do you guys feel it? I mean, is it affecting you, right? Who knows if schools are gonna start in the fall? I don't know where you guys are at on that, but it's separating us. Being together is less normal, so we need to talk about it. But does it matter? Does, does division, does separation, does being together even matter? And the, these, questions, these questions have to become a priority to us because in the middle of all of this rubble, in the middle of all of this division, all of this divisiveness, all of this separation, in the middle of it, planted right in the rubble of all of it, is a specific group of people that are still struggling and fighting to be together. This is the second reason we need to talk about being together. Because if we placed our faith in Jesus, we are the church. We're the church. And church is just a shorthand way of saying the people of God, the people that belong to God, the people that have placed their faith in Jesus. And listen, the church is visible. The, the church is seen. The church is known when it comes together, when it is actually gathering together for worship. That's when you see the church. But this strange season, this weird season that we find ourselves in, my friends, it has brought a lot of confusion about the church. Do you know that? Namely, this question, what is church? People are asking this all over the place. You know, there's a lot of taglines that are becoming really popular during this time. Because you guys know, we had, to, we had to like shelter in place, right? We had to go into our homes and I had to preach to a camera in a little room uh, for three months. It was like one of the darkest periods for me. Because it turns out, I don't really like preaching that much. I like preaching to people. And if you take that element out, I actually don't enjoy it. And I, it was three months of that, week in and week out, and it was brutal. It was brutal. And out of that season, these loud phrases just kept making their way into popularity. Things like, we don't need to meet at the church. We are the church. 
or the church is never closed. We are the church, or the church is not the building. You guys hear these? Did you guys hear these? I heard them like every day. These are not false statements necessarily. And in fact, I I mostly wanna respond when I hear these, I mostly wanna respond with, duh. Is anybody even saying that? Is anybody even arguing about that? Have you ever heard someone say, my church is that building and only that building? Is anybody ever saying, the people of God are that building over there? I, like, I've never heard somebody say that. We know that it's the people in the church building. That's what we mean when we say we miss church. We miss what the building holds. And thank the Lord that the, the church is not the building. My building's like 40 years old and has coffee stains everywhere and the roof leaks like all the time. Like that's never what I mean. I never mean I miss that building over there. I miss what gathers in that building. See, but the trouble with these statements and what people mostly mean when they're saying them is they're make, trying to build a defense When they're saying that our gathering together in one place as the Lord's people is less than necessary. That's what they're trying to say. They don't really think the church is the building. Like nobody actually means that. What they're trying to say is I don't need to do that in order to be or belong to God. When people declare the church is not the building, they're trying to build a case that says I don't need to go to a church to be a follower of God of Jesus, which again is true, sort of. But I guess I would just ask this question. I want you guys to think about this, okay? Because my hope's in you guys. I hope that that phrase just dies with you as as you guys uh, grow up and as you follow Jesus. Listen, I wanna ask the question, well, okay, okay, let's set that argument aside. Should, should followers of Jesus gather together somewhere at all? right? If the church is not the building, does it matter? Do we need to be together? That's a good question because I get the impression that some people are beginning to doubt it. I do. You know, I've been told by my people in my church, you know, I really like the live stream because I can pause you when I need to go to the bathroom. People have said that to me like, oh man, I'm kind of getting used to going to to church with my, my pajamas on. And stuff like that. Or, or we've watched it as a staff. You can watch like the numbers of people, at least on Facebook, how many people are watching it. You can watch the number of people drop off as soon as the sermon's over. Nobody's sticking around to respond and sing with us. Big numbers. Or I've had people tell me, tell me, oh man, they, they look at the number on our YouTube video of how many people have watched it. And they're like, man, we're reaching more people because what, than we ever could meeting in person because that number is really big. And I'm like, as if like people watching a video of me is quote unquote reaching people, right? But that's what they're thinking. That's what they're saying. And so I, I'm just, or, or man, check this one out. I've heard pastors say, and I'm not kidding, that they're enjoying this time because they quote, got their weekends back. That makes me sick. But I'm beginning to lose confidence that people believe we need to be together. And is that okay? I mean, is, is, is that church? I mean, we've just been getting it wrong for 2,000 years. We just needed YouTube to come fix it. Do we need a church in order to be the church? Do 
We need to be together. And that's a good question. And I hope you're thinking about that question. That's why we need to talk about this. Because once we start asking those questions, those lead to some pretty deep Bible questions. All right? The Bible speaks directly to them because what essentially what you're asking is this. And this is a big question. Is it enough to be in relationship with God but not be in a relationship with God's people? Is it enough? Is that okay? I mean, think about it. How would you answer that question right now? Can, can you love God genuinely? Like you, you love God, you worship God, you love him, but you're indifferent towards his people. Like you kind of just don't really care about them. Can that, can, that, can that person exist? Or does God view church as, you know, non-essential? Does, does it matter to God whether we are together or not? Well, let me ask you, let me put it this way, all right? Let's look at it from another angle. So the Apostle Paul wrote our passage that we're looking at for this week, okay? What if the Apostle Paul, who hated Christians before he had a relationship with Jesus, what if when he decided to follow Jesus, he continued to hate Christians? What would you say? Would you think that that was like a good relationship with God? Or, or how about this? What if I told you, I really, really love you, and I really, really want to be your friend forever, but I can't stand your family, like, at all, you know? What if I was like to Pastor Sam, like, dude, I want to be your friend, like, a lot, but I can't stand your kids, right? Those three kids just bother me so bad, you know? What, do you think we'd be buds? Would you think I actually wanted to be a friend to him? Or what about this? What about this? I like you, okay? I like hanging out with you, but I don't want to be around your family. I don't want to be with them at all, okay? Like, I love you. I love your family. I just don't ever really want to be around you whatsoever. What would you say to all of that, you guys? Can that be a real relationship with God? Not according to the Bible. 1 John, the Apostle John in 1 John 4.21 writes this. And this commandment, say commandment. No, louder. Say commandment. commandment. So he's given us something that we are like supposed to do, okay? This commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must, say must, Whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. Those two things are connected. Apostle John said it a different way. He said, if you say that you love God who you cannot see, but you hate your brother or reject your brother or sister who you can see, you're a liar. You don't actually love God. That's, that, I mean, that's his words. So what he's saying is those two things go together. You can't love God all by yourself. You gotta love God and then see people and be with them and love them too, according to what John would write. So my conclusion is this. It does matter that we are together, okay? It does matter. It does matter. This is not something that, it wasn't just like a cute theme that we thought of or that they thought of. We, so I wanna challenge you with this. 
We cannot settle into separation. No matter how normal it becomes, no matter how like you see everybody else is dividing, we need to fight against that and swim against that current. We can't be okay with division. We have to be longing to be together. We got to fight for it. And the rest of my time, I want to challenge you to fight for it. That's like the rest of my week is that you would fight for to be together when everything else says you should be apart. So then let's ask this question as we move into our passage for the week. What should it look like for us to be together? What should it look like for us to be together? And I think we see three things in these first three verses uh, that shows us and teaches us what it's like when we come together. Um, the first one is in verse one. Look what he writes here. And so what he's dealing with in chapter 14 of Romans is he's dealing with some people that like he calls weak, who are weak followers of Jesus. We'll talk about who they are in a second. But they have a problem with these other Christians eating meat. And they're like, hey, man, you're not supposed to do that because like I feel really bad if I eat meat, so you should probably not eat that. And, and so Paul's entering into that division. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Look over there real quick. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, not to argue, not to bicker, not to divide. He says, one person believes he may eat meat or eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So you have this big division entering into this church in Rome. And that's where Paul's going to address. He's addressing division. He's addressing a church that is experiencing division. And this is what he writes in verse one of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the first thing that it looks like to be together is that the strong give themselves for the weak. Strong for weak. They, they give themselves away. Now, we need to talk real quick about what it means, real quick, about this strong and weak faith. Because it's, a, it's not a faith that saves, okay? He's writing to a bunch of Christians. He's addressing them like they know Jesus. He's not saying you have a, a weak faith, therefore it doesn't save you. This is a Christian who has a weak faith. So it's something different. Um, it's a faith, listen, this is important. This faith that he's talking about here is a faith that transforms you. It's a faith that you place in Jesus that changes you, that begins to show you where in your life believing in Jesus affects you. That it doesn't just pay your way to heaven, but that relationship with Jesus actually makes your way, its way into how you are a friend, how you are a daughter, how you are a son. How when you, if you go and you get a job, how you actually work in that job, how you think about money, how you walk through a virus uh, or a pandemic, how you walk through this type of division, it this faith, a strong faith transforms all of that. Your relationship with Jesus affects all of that. This strong faith that Paul's writing about here affects the food that they eat. And that's what he's saying here. 
And he is not saying at all that, it's, uh, that, that the strong needs to change the weak, okay? The weak are not, ne- they're not necessarily new Christians, okay? It's not like they, they might have placed their faith in Jesus like a really, really long time ago. They just haven't figured out how that faith in Jesus changes the way that they live. It hasn't made their way, its way into like the end of their like day-to-day living, okay? And, and you guys have probably seen this before. A weak faith is some like maybe at a camp like this, like a speaker got up there and he said, all right, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, like raise your hand and then like everybody raise their hand. And that might have been for these weak Christians, that might have been like 10, 15 years ago that they put that hand up and placed their faith in Jesus, but it just never changed them. It never, it never did anything. It never changed the way they were a friend or a son or a daughter. It never transformed them. And so let me ask you something. And I think this is important right here at the beginning of our week. What kind of Christian are you? And I think there's three examples. The first is, are you a Christian? Do you ever get asked that just straight up? Like, I think that'd be really important for you to know about yourself. Do do you know if you have placed your faith in Jesus? Like, I'm not gonna put you on the spot and ask you, but I just mean right now, what what would you say? Have Have you sorted through what that means or what that looks like? Are you right now a Christian? And I think you should answer that. Maybe even write it down. Maybe after this, talk with somebody about that about what that, what that means. Or maybe ask yourself, are you a weak Christian? And I know that sounds super negative, but it's not supposed to be negative. It's just, it's just that you have a faith that you haven't really worked out what it looks like in your life. You, you would say, yes, I am a Christian, but it hasn't really changed much about me. I haven't really figured out how it moves me or how, you're, you know, you're talking about it like changing the way that I'm a daughter or a son. No, it hasn't done that to me at all. And if that's you, that's okay. But can you be like humble about that and, and recognize like, no, nah, man, I got some stuff to learn. I got to ask my questions. I got to find one of these older leaders and I need to grab a hold of them and say like, listen, I don't know about that stuff he is talking about. Can you help me with that? Can you help me know more about how this relationship with Jesus affects my life? And then let me ask you in the room, are there any strong Christians Would you say, and that's, again, like, if you're, like, arrogantly, like, yeah, I'm way stronger than all these other losers, like, nah, dude, you are not the strong Christian, I promise, all right? But it's good for you to know yourself. If you know this about you, you watch your life, and you're like, dang, my relationship with Christ has affected everything. The way that I live, the way that I think, the way, the stuff that I do with my life, my relationship with Jesus has affected all of it. Now, listen, that's good. Because you have an obligation in this passage. You hear that? You should feel the weight of that on your shoulders as you hear this. He says, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Why? What's your motivation behind this obligation? He says, not to please ourselves. Strong Christians, you have an obligation to the weak. You have an obligation for those who have not figured out what it looks like to follow Jesus. You have an obligation to pick them up and carry their burdens with them. But you know what my favorite part of this whole passage is? Favorite part of the whole passage. 
they're in the same church. They're together. He's not saying like, hey, strong people, you go start your other church because leave these weak guys behind, right? What he's saying is weak, you need the strong, strong. You have an obligation to the weak. You're supposed to be there together. You're not supposed to be separated. You're supposed to be in the same place every week together worshiping God, moving forward together. And you guys, it should always be that way. If this, if this youth group or you're ever a part of this church and you start to realize, man, there's only strong Christians here, that's not healthy. That's not strong because there's people that need Jesus and they're not here with us. There, there should always be people that don't know Jesus. There should be people who are still figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then there should be strong followers of Christ together. And really, ultimately, like knowing which one you are, it actually doesn't matter that much because look at verse two. We have a big, we all got the same job. Let each of us, that's weak, that's strong, that's anybody who says they're a Christian, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That is us for them. All of us for all of them. And who is them? It's everybody. Look around you, it's all of them. Like really, the, you know, the golden plunger of courage that you guys get for this week, like really, that's like normal Christian behavior, according to this. Do you see that? Like, that, like we should all just get golden plungers. Sam, let's hook that up, dude. All golden plungers. Because this is who we are. This is what we all do. We are a community of people that have been commanded to give ourselves away for everybody else. But then Paul does something. He tells us why. He, he, tells, he gives us motivation for why you should give yourself away for the people sitting around you. And he says it in verse three. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. So he's gonna quote scripture, but it's about Jesus. So it says, the reproaches of those who reproached you. Who's the you there? That's God the Father. That's God the Father. And so he said, the, the insults that of, of you, people who insulted God, fell on me. That me is Jesus. So who are those? Who are those who insulted God? Who are those who were giving the insults, the reproaches that fell on Christ that were meant for God? Us. Those are our that's our rebellion. That's our insults against God that fell on Jesus. And, and this is what I need you to know, guys. Our hope is not in our ability to be strong. It is not in our consistency and how well we love each other or do that day to day. Because we can't save ourselves. We have way too many reproaches stacked up against us that we have hurled at God and rebelled against God. We can't save ourselves. We can't save our neighbor. All of us across this room right now have fallen short. All of us in this room are sinners. We're all lost. We all need to be saved. But the promise of this text, this promise of this verse is that Jesus took all of our rebellion against God and it fell on him. It crushed him. 
He did that. He stood in our place. He paid our debt for what we owed God. Jesus has to save people like you and me. And this is what this book of Romans calls the gospel. Say gospel. No, come on, like you mean it. Say gospel. gospel. And this is the gospel that Paul says that he is unashamed of in Romans 1.16. That's your verse for today, by the way. And that's what he's saying. The gospel is this. We can't save ourselves. So by grace, God does save even people like us through faith in Jesus. We trust Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But I want you to take note of this. The gospel does not only save us. It also compels us to love each other. That's what he's doing here. He's saying in verse two, he says, please your neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? Because Jesus did that for us. You should do that. You should love your neighbor. You should build your neighbor up. Why? Because Jesus did that for us. Paul does something here that other writers in the Bible do all the time. He uses Jesus' sufferings and his death on a cross as an example for how we are to treat each other. And, it, and, and what it costed Jesus is what it will cost us, our lives, our lives. That's what he's saying. You're for your neighbor, lay yourself down like Jesus did for you. That's what he's saying there. And Jesus was real straight up about this. Don't you love this about Jesus? Jesus didn't like trick you into following him. Remember what Jesus said? If you wanna come and follow me, pick up your cross then you can come follow me. And they knew exactly what that meant, and I hope you do too. That means death. That means uh, it's going to look like you laying aside your life for the sake of following him. And so really, the measurement of our affections for Jesus will always be measured by the question, are you willing to die for him? Are you willing to die for him? Have you picked up your cross? in order to follow him. And that will always be the measurement of your commitment to Jesus. Are you willing to die for him? And maybe you say, it's a good question. Oh, I don't know. How would I know if I was going to fall, if I, if I would die to follow Jesus? That's what Paul is saying here. You measure that of your willingness to die for Jesus in how you serve and love and give yourself away for your neighbor. That's how you measure it. So here, it's a pretty good indication how you're serving others of whether or not you would give your life for Jesus. So if you're not willing to lay aside your preferences for the sake of the weak, you probably wouldn't die for Jesus. You just probably wouldn't. The cross would seem a little too big for you. Or if you're not, if you don't really care about pleasing your neighbor for his or her good, you probably, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't die for Jesus, right? You'd look at the cross and be like, no, no way, man. If you're not willing, listen, friends, if you're not willing to give up convenience or comfort or safety or even your reputation for the sake of your neighbor, you probably wouldn't die for Jesus, right? Like straight up, you could, you could just know that. Like, what makes me think that I, I won't set aside my own preferences for this person who needs to know Jesus, 
But I think, yeah, like I'll die for Jesus. Like he's saying, no. Remember 1 John, he says, if you say you love God, but you reject your brother or sister, you're a liar. He says, if you love God, you will also love your brother or sister. And so here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Jesus tell you why he did this. In John chapter 17, right before Jesus went to the cross, he said a prayer, powerful prayer. He prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for people like us who would come to believe in him through the gospel. He prayed for us, and you know what he prayed for? Listen to his words. I pray that they may all be one so that the world may believe. I pray that they may be one even as we, that is Jesus and the Father are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, that you would, this is his prayer, Father, that you would bring them together. Why did Jesus give up his life for us? For us to be together in unity. So does it matter to God whether we're together? <laughs> so here's the thing. Right now, we are among the divided. But right here in this room, we're a picture of the church. And we need to fight to keep together because Jesus died so that we will be the unified. And he declared that himself. He declared that himself. And listen, I'll close with this. It's already here, and I need you to see that. This unity is already here, right? Because, I mean, look around. You guys are all already different ages. You guys all have different stories, different backgrounds that led you here, right? Some of you, maybe your parents made you. Others of you, like your friend brought you. You know, you talk to one kid, and he's a church kid. He loves this church. This is where he's been. He's been following Jesus for a long time, and then you got another kid here who was a lot like me and you know, maybe had a rough home life but ended up here, and he's getting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You're all different. You're all different. And so we get to see this picture of what Jesus died for right now. It's here, and we see glimpses of it. But as soon as you go back out there, you guys, it becomes less and less normal. It is trying right now really hard to divide you up. And so unity will cost us. Unity will cost us. Being together in a way that brings glory to God is gonna cost us. The strong for the weak, all of us for one another. And it cost Jesus his life. He died for, our, for us to be together. So friends, for the rest of the week, I'm gonna challenge you to fight, to fight to be together. And I'm gonna invite you to do that. But the cost, you're gonna see it, you're gonna feel it, and I'm gonna invite you to count the cost, know the cost, and go for it. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to share with these young people. And Lord, I pray with all of my heart that you would move them towards Jesus 
for this week, that they would know you more, God, and that they would push back against, Lord, what is becoming more and more normal, the separation, the division that is becoming more and more normal. I pray that this group of young people, God, would fight back against it, fight to be together. And Father, that their efforts, their willingness would bleed out into all others that are around them. I pray for that. I hope for it. In Jesus' name, amen.